I appreciate you guys indulging us to do that and serve the church in that way. And it's also my honor to, uh, to fill in for Craig this morning and, and to share a message with you as we stay in our series on who do you think you are. So good to be here and, and good to do that. I feel like we're kind of in the, last night was Halloween and they changed our clock hangover this morning. Anybody kind of have that? I, I kind of sense that, uh, although that's all right. We can, we, we can work with that and just kind of uh, go from there. Um, I want to start in an unusual place. I, I realized recently that I have not received a traffic ticket of any kind for over 13 years. Uh, yeah. Well, sure. Come on. Yeah. Now, that's a stupid thing to say out loud, right? Especially in front of several hundred people, right? And especially, I'm sure we have some law enforcement folks with us this morning, too. So really not a smart thing to say out loud, but, but I'm, I'm throwing it out there for you. Now, if you go back before that, I, I did have a few, and um, I'm not going to tell you about all of them. I'm not going to tell you about the ones especially that we're closer to here, but I will tell you about one this morning. Uh, I still have it. You don't want to forget these things, right? It's right here. I have it. I don't know why I still have it, but I do. Uh, this was the last time I got a traffic ticket. It was in uh, 2002. Uh, that was the last one, and, and it, was, it occurred at the time I lived in Las Vegas, Nevada, true story. And I actually worked at a church there at the time. And the way the story goes, the best I can remember it, I had gotten up on a Sunday and uh, gone to the church where, where I was on the pastoral staff. I would gotten there, and I did something that's totally out of character for me. I forgot something that I needed for that, the Sunday service that day. And, uh, you know, I normally don't forget things, in all honesty. I, I, I'm just a very detailed person. I'm the person who goes over things over and over and over. And I normally don't forget things, so I was very annoyed with myself. You, you can ask, uh, you know, Tori and Lucas are over here, and, and Rebecca's over here, so you can ask them that that's not one of my faults. They can fill you in on some of the others, I'm sure. But it's just not something I normally do. So I was a little bit annoyed with myself, but I realized I had just enough time to jump in my car, to go back to my house. It was maybe eight, nine minutes away. to get I don't even remember what I'd forgotten, but get whatever I'd forgotten and get back before I really needed to be there that day. So I decided to go for it. I jumped in the car and I took off and I knew I had to make time to get there, get what I needed, get back before I was really needed uh, before the Sunday service. Now, I know some of you are thinking, you got a speeding ticket, right? He was in too big a hurry to go back and get what he wanted. and ended. That's actually not what happened because I did have the brain engaged a little bit. I figured, you know, I got to be careful here. I'm in a hurry. I'm trying to get this done. Speed limits are low. I got to watch that. I've got to not exceed them, at least not by enough to get myself in trouble. Um, and I had this all figured out, but, but here's the problem. There was this one traffic signal, this one stoplight between where I was and where I needed to get, and I had to get back. It was one of those, if you miss it, you're there for like five days. You know what I'm talking about? One of those where it's like, it's like three times as long as any other traffic signal. And I was thinking ahead of time about this. I was like, I, I can't miss that light, or I'm not going to be able to get back, get what I need. So I'm thinking through this, and, and I get to where I can see the traffic signal. And I, I could tell, you know, I'm used to it. I went through there every day. I'm like, I can tell by where we are, where I am, where the traffic signal is in its cycle. I'm good to go, but it's going to be close. Okay, I'm good to go, but it's going to be close. So I speed up just a little bit, trying to make it work. And I get close, and I get closer and closer, and I've realized I'm going to be fine. I've got it timed just right. One problem, the car in front of me wasn't playing along with what I needed to get done. Was not playing along at all. In fact, this car was... Uh, uh, they were out for a Sunday drive, which is understandable. It was a Sunday. 
And uh, they were just, they were going to make it through, but they didn't care about my dilemma behind them. And, and they were just breaking my whole pace. So I get to the place where, uh, you know, going to the light, and I probably should have stopped. And I'm like, I'm not going to let this person ruin my plan. I'm not going to let them keep me from doing what I, you know, had schemed out in my head to make it all work. So I went through the intersection behind them. And I'll admit, or at the time I'll admit, the light might have been dark yellow by the time I went through that. And uh, we have, I think we do have a few police officers Please, no offense. I, I, I really do respect what you do, and I'm not brave enough to do it. But back to my story. But I, I got to get through this light. I'm, I'm trying to make it through. Car in front of me really made it difficult. Uh, I, I get through the intersection. I didn't bother to look back. I thought, I think I made it. It's okay. Uh, but somebody from the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department did not agree. And uh, they, they happened to be sitting on the other side of this traffic signal and pulled me over. And let me know that that light was kind of light red more than it was dark yellow. And, uh, and gave me this. Now, I had never gotten a t- ticket before for violating a traffic signal. Turns out, at least in, in Nevada, that's a bigger deal than some of the other tickets I had gotten. Because not only was it for a lot more money than I was used to, but it, it would involve subtracting points from my license. Um, I wasn't very happy about that. I, I thought the whole thing was unfair, right? But I don't ever forget things. I forgot something. I was trying to work at a church, trying to do something good. I, I knew I had time to get back. It's not my fault this car in front of me slowed me down. And I'm not even sure the light was red, although it probably was. So I was just thinking about the whole thing being completely unfair, completely unjust, and I was not happy about it at all. Uh, but then I found out there was a loophole. In Las Vegas, you could go to traffic school and not get points deducted from your license. I didn't really think that was fair either. I didn't think I needed to go to traffic school. I'm I'm in my 30s at this point, but I'm like, I'll go, and I won't have to have the points deducted for my license. So I showed up to Las Vegas traffic school one morning, and I was the oldest person in the room by far. And I was the only person in the room that had a shirt that had sleeves, I think. I mean, it, it was a, quite a sight. And, and I walked in, and there was a very angry woman in charge of Las Vegas traffic school, a very large, angry, tough woman in charge of the school. And, and she probably needed to be to deal with what she dealt with. And she started the class by laying into us all. And she said, how many of you are here today because you have a problem with road rage? And I didn't expect that question. Every hand in the room went up except for mine. And I'm thinking, I don't have a problem with road rage. I I was done wrong here. You know, I was thinking, anyway, uh, eventually uh, she glared at me. She pointed and she raged at me. You too have a problem with road rage, don't you? And you're denying it. And uh, I did the only sensible thing. I said, yes, you're right, I do. And, um, and the, you know, I figured I don't even think I should be here. I'm going I'm to do whatever I have to to get my points put back on my license. I survived last, you know, Las Vegas traffic school that day, and, and it all worked out okay. But here's why I tell you the story, and I, I could have picked several others, but I'll leave it at that. I tell the story because um, as I look back on that 13 years later, it was just. My car was in the intersection after the signal turned. There's a rule, there's an ordinance on the books there in most places that you can't do that. There is a specific penalty you get if you do that, and that's the exact penalty I got. It wasn't something unusual. Uh, If you really want to look at the idea of justice and fairness, I got exactly what I should have gotten, even though at the time I did not think it was fair. It was. It was fair. The problem is I don't really like fair half the time, right? I don't really like justice much of the time. Now, I like it when somebody else gets what's coming to them, of course. I like that kind of justice. I like it if somebody's done me wrong and justice comes along and makes that right. I like that. 
I don't necessarily like the threat of justice hanging over my head like a dark cloud. Right? Uh, I don't like that when, I, when I'm driving in my car and, and I, I might make a mistake and the threat of justice hangs over my head, and most of us don't. But I also don't like that in a bigger sense. I wonder what this has to do with anything. Well, bringing it back to, to work here at church and thinking about the God that we serve, the idea of God's justice can sometimes feel the same way. Uh, we like it when somebody else who's done us wrong is getting what they deserve. We like that. But we don't necessarily like the idea of God's justice kind of hanging over our head all the time. We're not really sure how safe it is to live in that environment. Um, today, hold on to that a minute. We'll come back to it. Today we're talking about in our series, Who Do You Think You Are? The idea that, uh, that God sees us and God sees you as an overcomer, as a conqueror, as somebody who overcomes. I don't know about you, but I don't always feel like an overcomer. I don't always feel like a conqueror, especially in certain areas of my life. Um, In fact, there's one area this morning, if I could be real honest with you, that I feel a little bit conquered right now, uh, that I feel a little bit overcome, like I haven't haven't really mastered it. It's not really going very well. And and I would guess most of us this morning can think of some area that that's the case. If not, wait a week, right, and something comes and gets us. Let's look at some verses today that talk about this idea of us being a conqueror. And I'll come back to God's justice in a minute. Hold that for just a minute. We're going to look in, in the book of Romans in the Bible. This is a, a letter that one of the early church leaders, the Apostle Paul, wrote to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 35. This is where we come up with this idea that we are overcomers, that we are conquerors. Um, normally, we encourage you to you know, open your Bible and read along. I'm actually going to, you're, you're welcome to do that, but I'm going to encourage you to follow along on the screen today because I've tried to like, underline some things and arrange it in a way that kind of helps it make sense, I hope. Here's what Paul wrote to the church in Rome. He said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That underline was something I added, but who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are, here it is, more than conquerors. That's how God sees us. We are overcomers. We are conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, present nor future, any powers, height nor death, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, in this verse, in these verses about being conquerors, about being overcomers, I underlined something because it jumped out to me. That three times the love of God is mentioned in here. Three times the love of God is mentioned in this context of us being overcomers, of us being conquerors. If you go back to the uh, beginning of those verses, um, if we can go, yeah, thank you. Uh, we see this list of things, who, who shall separate us from the love of God, and then we see this list of things. Trouble or hardship. You know, sometimes we are left, how many of us have some trouble or hardship going on right now? I, I acknowledge I do. Uh, and it leaves me not feeling like an overcomer. It leaves me not feeling like a conqueror. Persecution, I don't think any of us are probably being literally persecuted, but a lot of us might be experiencing something, some powerful thing that is keeping us from experiencing what we want to experience. That is common even in today's world. I doubt many of us are experiencing famine or nakedness right now, uh, but, but maybe you are experiencing financial problems. Maybe you are experiencing trouble in the work world. Maybe you, you, know, you are experiencing something like that. Danger or sword. I don't know that most of us are really afraid that we're going to be a victim of violence, although there may be some of us in our homes that, that are concerned about that. 
But I think a lot of us struggle with fears and phobias and, and all kinds of things that, that are kind of similar to that. The list is kind of culturally bound, but I think we understand that things keep us from feeling like overcomers and conquerors. And over and over in these verses, it talks about the love of God being connected to overcoming that. What does that mean? How does that play? Well, I want to go back to what I talked about at the beginning. We talked about the justice of God. Sometimes we feel like God's justice is hanging over our head, that and if we mess up, we're in trouble. If we don't get it all right, if we don't figure it all out, we're just left with this anxiety about it. So how do we reconcile the justice of God and the love of God? How do we really put those things together and make sense of them? Now, that might sound like a very dry theological thing to think about for a minute, but I really have become convinced, looking at this this past week or so, that, that this actually is the key to us overcoming the key to us conquering all those areas of our life where we don't feel like we're conquering, we don't feel like we are, we are, are overcoming. So hang with me for a minute, and let's think about some theology for a minute, and I think it'll come back around to help us with those practical things that are keeping us down. I, I want us to think about three different ways, three different pictures of how you could take God's justice, his fairness, his wrath, his anger, all those things on the one hand, and God's love, his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, all those things over here. How can we reconcile those in our minds? I've come up with three different ways which you could do that. Three different options. Three different pictures. If I had any artistic ability, I would have drawn this for you, but I don't. So I've just put it on a slide in words. Three different ways you can deal with this in your mind. There may be more, but this is what I've come up with. The first way you can deal with this in your mind is to see God's justice as the ultimate thing about God. The ultimate overarching thing about God. Almost like picture there's an invisible bubble over our existence. You can picture it literally if you want to. That outside there's this bubble covering the whole earth that is the justice of God. That it's just like the atmosphere. It's the air you breathe. That God has to make everything fair and he'll do whatever he takes to do that. Like I, I talked about that being kind of a dark cloud to live under at times. If that's the case, other times we like it. And picture God's love just being kind of a subset of that. that in other words, when God has to make things fair... He may be loving at times to certain people, but he may be something else to others. Uh, that's one idea of how we put together God's justice and God's love. Uh, it's a, kind of a dark cloud over your head kind of idea, but it is one way to do it, and there are ways you can even justify that in parts of the Bible, that that's one way to do it. Let me suggest a second picture. This picture is, you, you've got a picture you're going to an elementary school field day. Okay? Elementary school field day, we're not quite there yet, and you're at the tug of war. And there's the rope, you know, the big rope at the tug of war. And you've got two teams. Over here, you've got the team that's called God's Justice. And they've got their T-shirts, God's Justice, the name of the school. And, and the biggest kids in the back with the rope wrapped around and getting ready to pull. And everybody else has their gloves on, and they're, they're along the rope getting ready to pull on the tug of war. On the other side, we had the team, and, and they're called God's Love. They had their T-shirts on that says, God's Love, the name of the school. Big kid in the back with the rope tied around him, ready to go. All the other kids with the glove getting ready to pull. And the big tug of war happens. Tug of war. The rope goes this way for a while, and then it pulls back this way, and it keeps going back and forth. And even when the rope's just stuck, there's tension in it. You can feel the tension between the love or the love and the justice as it goes back and forth. That's a second way to put all this together in your mind. I'll be honest, this is the way that most of my life I have understood it. Uh, this is the way I think I was taught about this. This is something I've carried with me. Uh, this is the kind of the tug of war image that both of these are equal and there's tension and you've got to live with the tension. 
Let me suggest a third picture for understanding all this. A third picture for understanding how these two go together. And this one would be that God's love, his grace, his mercy are, are the overarching thing. Uh, kind of like, uh, again, picture the bubble over our existence. Kind of this canopy over us. The entire atmosphere around us is filled with God's love. His care, his kindness, his grace, his mercy. And that his justice becomes a subset of it. That at times, in order to love well, he has to deal with some things that are keeping uh, people from experiencing his love. And, and that's what his justice is. Three different pictures. Now, if you'll play along with me for a moment, I would like for you to pick, you don't have to do this out loud, but pick which one you think is right, honestly. And be honest, you don't have to try to guess what I'm thinking up here. Pick, uh, it, you'll get more out of the message if you commit to one of the three for this exercise. So you want to write down one, two, or three, or you want to register it in your mind, whatever. Uh, pick the one you think is right, or, or I'll put it this way. Which one of these three do you think the Bible teaches? And I'll admit it's a trick question. Commit to one, if you will. I've already told you, number two is the one that I have been taught and thought about most of my life. So I'll throw it out there that number two is what I would have to answer if I were being honest. Um, And now let's try to answer that with the few minutes we have left together. First of all, it's a trick question because you could turn to different parts of the Bible and read stuff that's going on and come up with any of those three pictures, I think. Uh, Chances are your answers was more based on the early voices in your life, the people who taught you spiritual things early on, a parent, preacher, a teacher, or maybe you weren't even involved in church, maybe you haven't even been most of your life, and it's just kind of what you picked up, just what you picked up that people thought. I think that's kind of what we tend to do with this. We kind of, whatever we thought early on just kind of sticks with us, and it kind of becomes where we are. Wrestle with this, and I want to go back to those verses in Romans one more time, and I'm trying to simplify them now. I've taken some of the words out. Please don't accuse me of being a heretic for doing that, but I've taken some of the words out just to make, I think, the main point stand out. So here it is again. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall blank or blank or blank, you could fill in the blank. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither blank nor blank nor blank, whatever it is, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You're probably getting the idea that I would like, if if number one was your answer, I'd like to challenge you today to consider number two. If number two was your answer, I'd like to challenge you today to consider number three. If number three was your answer, I'd like to challenge you to allow that to really soak in and really transform every area of your life. And notice some of you are going to be frustrated because I'm not going to tell you one of them is the right answer necessarily. But I want to challenge you to move on down the spectrum a little bit and just consider if this might be the key to overcoming, having victory in our lives. Now, I I think we we could find, you could justify any of these pictures if you want to look at one verse. So I admit that. But there are some places in the Bible that I think help us move down that spectrum. Uh, lots of places in the Bible that help us do that. You can go back to the ancient part of the Bible, to the Psalms. Um, actually, before I do that, we'll get to Psalm 103 in a moment. Let me. Some of you like to get this message in a nutshell, kind of write down something. Here it is. Here's the message in a nutshell. Who do you think you are? You're a, a conqueror. You're an overcomer. That's who you are. And the key to overcoming, 
is counterintuitive. It's not what you think. As you hear about conquering and overcoming, you expect power, you expect force. But really, it's all about the love of God. It's all about experiencing the love of God. It's all about really trusting the love of God. It's all about knowing that reality is the love of God. And that's really what we're saying here today. God already sees us as overcomers, as conquerors, even when we don't. And it's counterintuitive, but the love of God is what makes that possible. All right, let's look at a couple places where we find that other than Romans 8. One would be Psalm 103. It's a great psalm to read. Just listen to these words and think about uh, picture number three, I would see. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us, the Father has compassion on his children. So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Just take that one little part out. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. I have to picture myself down at the shore on the beach, looking up in the sky on one of those days when it's bright, there's the sun and it's just blue, as high up as you can see. And think about that. As high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how great God's love is. It kind of sounds like picture number three. I, I don't really think it's, it's designed to reinforce my third picture, that verse. I think it was just... Uh, David, King David, exclaiming how great God was many, many years ago. High as the heavens are above the earth, that's how great his love is for those who fear him. So We find this in ancient places like the Psalms. We also find it in the teaching of Jesus, which is always a, a very important place to look. I think we see it all over the teachings of Jesus, that, that God's love is the power, the key to us being over to over, be able to overcome. One story jumps out at me, and that's the story of the prodigal son, the story of the lost son. In Luke chapter 15, it starts in verse 11. That story's been taught from this stage many times. If you've been around here, you've heard it. If you've been in other places, you've heard it. If you've never heard it, I'll summarize it. And if you've heard it before, a quick review. It's the story of a father. Jesus told this story, by the way. It was a teaching illustration he made up. Uh, there was a father who had two sons, two adult sons. The father was a wealthy businessman. The younger of the two sons decided that he didn't really like his dad, didn't really like living at home, didn't really like working for his dad and being part of his dad's worldview. So he asked his dad for the inheritance. And his dad did something crazy. His dad said, sure, son, even though you're basically saying to me as if I'm dead, I'll give you your share of the inheritance. I'll rearrange my assets, give you everything you have coming to you. And the son takes all that and leaves. Leaves, gets as far away from his dad and his brother as he can. Gets away from the family, goes out and Parties it up, uh, lives a crazy lifestyle, has the money to do it, enjoys life, does a lot of things that you might consider immoral. He gets to the end of his rope eventually. The economy turns, I guess. You know, things, he wasn't prepared for that. Runs out of money. Eventually he's in poverty. He's working a, a slave labor type of job. And one day he comes to his senses and says, I'm just going to go back to my dad and ask if I can work at like the bottom level job in his company because I'd be better off doing that than living the way I am now. And he goes back to his dad, and he has a speech prepared. And this is what I want to point out, Luke 15, verse 19. Let's listen to what he says when he goes back to his dad. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. 
I think that's kind of where we end up. I, maybe you've picked up on this story. It's really Jesus' way of talking about God as the Father, and the two sons represent the kinds of people in the world. I think sometimes we're a lot like that son. We really don't think that much of who we are in God's eye. We really think kind of like him. We're not really worthy to be called his son, but you know, maybe he'll allow us to have some small role. And yet listen to what the Father says. I know some of you know this, but it's Amazing reminder, if you've never heard it before, this is what the Father says in verse 22. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. The younger son didn't realize who he really was. He didn't realize that he was his father's son, that that was his identity. Who do you think you are? He didn't realize that he was a child of of that kind of a loving father. And uh, that's who we are. We may not realize it. I may not realize it. You may not realize it. But our identity is that we are the sons and daughters of God. That is weird. Remember, Jesus was called the son of God. And I think sometimes we hear that idea that we are the sons and daughters of God, and that almost seems almost sacrilegious in a way. Because Jesus went by a title like that, and now how can we be? And I think that's why, I mean, we don't completely understand who we are. We don't completely get it. We're kind of living under this cloud instead of completely overcoming, instead of completely conquering with the knowledge of who we really are, that we're God's loved children. It's not like we have to wait to become that. We are that. We just don't get it just yet. The older brother didn't get it either, by the way. The older brother got mad, got angry that his dad would allow this renegade son to come back. Uh, I, I think the, the older brother was living kind of under my picture number one. He really thought God's justice or his dad's justice was the overarching reality. And he thought, I can win, though. I can still win that game. I can get it right. And even if justice is the ultimate reality, I'll, I'll, I'll get on the right side of it. And he completely misunderstood who he was. Didn't understand that he was a loved son of his father. So what I'm trying to say today, and I admit this is not the most direct message. This is kind of one of those roundabout things. The understanding that, understanding the love of God being primary and how much that changes everything is really the foundation for being a conqueror, for being an overcomer. So I guess I want to challenge us to think about picture number three. I want to challenge us to think about that, to consider it, to take a chance on it. And that you, you may, some people may push back on that, and I'm okay with that because I've been a picture number two guy my whole life, so I get it. You may have to go wrestle with, some of us are, are brain people. You may have to go wrestle. You may say, I've got to go read the Bible and make sure that's right in case you're trying to lead me astray here. Uh, I, I've got to go read. I've got to go study. I've got to go see what theologians say about that. So I would challenge you to do that. Let the brain work through that. Others of us, you, you don't care so much about that. It's much more about getting it to the heart. You're like, yeah, I'll buy that intellectually, but man, how do I really experience that in my day-to-day life? How does it help me overcome? How does it help me to to conquer? I wish I could give you a formula. Today's message doesn't have a formula. But I challenge you to go and and to wrestle with that. See if number three, that picture number three, there might be something to that changes everything. Go back to, and I'll just put the verses up that I've shared today on, back up on the screen. You may want to go back to Romans 8. I only read a few verses of it. There's a lot in there about this idea. You may want to go back to Psalm 103. I think I read five or six verses. The whole psalm talks about this. 
Go back to that story in Luke 15 of Jesus and those two sons, or the father and the two sons, I should say. Really sit and wrestle with those. Just see if, if those things don't break into us the power of God's word. Well, the band's going to come back up and lead us in, in a song as I wrap this up. But let me just try to summarize it all by saying what, what I've become convicted of through this message and through a lot of things going on in my life. I've become convicted that the overarching abundance of God's love, regardless if you agree with the picture thing or not, I made that up, but the overarching abundance of God's love is the key to being an overcomer. It's the key to being a conqueror, even in the very little specific areas of life where we feel conquered, where we feel overcome. Let me just take a second to make that very specific. What area are you feeling conquered in or overcome? Marriage? Parenting? Dealing with parents, dealing with other people in your life, job, lack of a job, school, whether it's the academics or the people you deal with. Is it some issue underneath, some anxiety or depression or some other thing you're dealing with? Some very personal thing? Some identity issue that you don't even want to talk to most people about? Is it an addiction? Whether it's one of the the mainstream addictions are some little weird one that, that, that you're struggling with. Your financial problems, is it abuse, is it a major health issue for you or for somebody you love. I'm feeling a lot of us are feeling overcome or conquered by something. And I'm not saying you don't need some specific maybe expert help or a loving community to help get you through it. But I think the foundational power comes from understanding the abundant, overarching love of God. Father, help us to reflect on this. and uh, Help us to understand your love. Help us to understand it intellectually, but help people like me to get it below the neck a little bit. Experience it in our daily lives. God, as we conclude our service over the next few minutes, I pray that you will speak to us. You will give us love. Teach us that we are your sons, we are your daughters. Blow our minds and our hearts with that, what that really means. Thank you, God, for this love.